morning. We are kicking off things a little bit differently today as we enter into the presence of God and really unpack what it means to fall into the trap of experiencing hollow worship in our lives. And so we decided that before we lean into the worship experience today that we would just take a minute to highlight some really important things that I think God wants us to be thinking about as followers of Jesus. I think a lot of times when we talk about expressing our worship, we think of it in terms of the music that we sing. And I want to challenge you with the idea that, man, worship is so much more about the music we sing. Worship is about the condition of our hearts. Worship really is a lifestyle. And while sometimes we express our worship by bowing in reverence, that's important, but that's not all there is to it. We do bow, though, in reverence because we recognize God is God and I am not. That's me coming before Jesus humbly, recognizing he is my creator, he is my savior, he is the lover of my soul. There is no one like him. That's why I bow in reverence to Jesus, and sometimes we do that. It says in Psalm 95, 6, come let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. That is entirely appropriate. And sometimes that's how we express our worship to Jesus. But there's more to worship than that. Sometimes we, we lift our hands in adoration. We raise our hands in praise. We're recognizing, Jesus, you are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. There is no one like you. You are worthy of my praise. I am your creation. You are the creator. You are worthy of that praise because there is no one like you. You are holy. That is entirely appropriate. It says in Psalm 63, I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. Sometimes that's how we express our worship to God. We bow our heads in reverence. We lift our hands in praise. And sometimes we get crazy because we're celebrating. Sometimes we dance in celebration, all right? Sometimes you break out your favorite dance move and you are celebrating what God has done. And I love that. It says in Psalm 149, let them praise his name with dancing. Now, here at Crossroads, I got to be honest, I don't see us as much of a dancing church. But the reality is that is what we need to be doing in celebration. Sometimes it's appropriate just to be jumping up and down and saying, yes, God, you are good good. You are changing lives. You have changed my life. You are good. It is that recognition and that excitement that comes from seeing God move and work in our hearts and our lives. I had a dear friend uh, years ago whose dad was a pastor of a church that was much more charismatic uh, than what Crossroads is, and they would do a lot of dancing and beyond that in their celebration of, of who God is and what he was doing. And one of their traditions, uh, he said growing up, was that when people got filled with the Spirit, when they were celebrating, they would grab flags. They had flags on flagpoles that if you just got really excited, you'd grab that flag and you'd start running around the whole auditorium carrying that flag, just kind of going, woo, and run around with the flag. <clears throat> That was a tradition that lasted until one fateful Sunday morning. Someone cut the corner a little too sharp and hit his dad across the head with the end of the flagpole. That really happened. His dad was the pastor. It did not end well, all right? They never again had the celebration of worship by running with the flagpoles. <laughs> oh. Sometimes we dance in celebration. It's appropriate. Sometimes we bow our heads in reverence, it's appropriate. Sometimes we raise our hands in praise, completely appropriate. But let me challenge you with this concept today, that always, daily, we lay down our lives as an act of worship. Because true worship in its deepest form is a lifestyle. 
It's a lifestyle that is fully surrendered to Jesus and saying, I, I want all of you. And Jesus, you can have all of me. That's how we worship Jesus. Romans 12.1, Paul says this, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. That's what we do daily. And today as we enter the presence of God, as we raise his name in praise, as we sing some songs and worship him, as we dive into his word and allow him to work and move in our hearts, I just invite you today to embrace Jesus, to make it the desire of your heart that your life brings him glory, that that is the way you worship him, by being obedient, by making peace with Jesus. And so as we begin today, I would just invite you to stand with me uh, and open this time in a word of prayer together. I ask that you just bow your heads and close your eyes wherever you are and that you would just take this moment to invite the presence of Jesus, his Holy Spirit, into your heart this morning and ask God to make this a moment where you could draw close to him in a fresh new way and experience his, his presence in your life. Jesus, you are so good. Your love endures forever. You are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. God, there is no one like you. And so today we prepare our hearts. We prepare to bow our heads in reverence in this moment as we seek your face. We prepare to raise our hands in praise and celebration of who you are and what you've done. And God, we prepare our hearts to dance in celebration of the way you are moving and working in our hearts and celebrating all that you have done, all that you want to do. But God, we enter into your presence today mostly filled with a desire to just be surrendered to who it is that you are and who it is that you are calling us to be. And so God, we just bring ourselves to you in this moment in worship to you. May you be glorified, may you be pleased, may you be honored with what happens here today. God, for all that you've done, for your mercy, your grace, the love that you have for us, we thank you today and we prepare to worship you. We pray this in your name and together we say, amen. Let's worship together. Yeah, that's pretty intense. What would Jesus undo? Here's the thing. We're in week four of this series and we're realizing that there are some very specific things in our lives that Jesus just doesn't have much patience for. We started this series by talking about the reality that our indifference, it, it actually is nauseating to the stomach of Jesus. And that's not a great thing to think about. Like my life, the things that I do actually make Jesus physically sick. I don't like to think about that. And yet there's this idea and this concept that, man, in light of all that Jesus has done for us, the price that he paid on the cross, the price that we could not pay, paying a debt that we didn't deserve, that there's no way we could possibly earn, that changes everything, that gives me hope for eternity. When I respond to that gift with indifference, like it doesn't matter, meh, <laughs> it makes Jesus sick. We realize we have to be passionate about who God is, who he's calling us to be. We cannot fall into that trap of indifference. We've talked about spiritual pride, thinking better of ourselves than we ought to think. It, it's nauseating to Jesus. Last week we talked about hypocrisy. Just It's the difference between what we're willing to show others and what we really are. There's the masks that we wear that paint a different picture of who we are that's better than what it is. And 
God has no patience for that. These are things in our hearts and our lives that Jesus radically wants to undo. And today we're getting to this, this point where when we're talking about hollow worship, it's really just kind of the culmination of all of those things. Because in my life, when I'm filled with these different things that, that really shouldn't be part of my life, what I realize is that I've made peace with things in my life that I really shouldn't have made peace with. And instead of being laser focused and, and surrendered to who God is and who he's calling me to be, I've allowed my life to drift. And when I raise my hands in praise, it just rings hollow because my life doesn't match the words that are coming out of my mouth, those moments of, of lifting up the name of Jesus. It just rings hollow. And I really want to lean into that concept today because the reality is God longs to have a really close relationship with each and every one of us. He longs for us to be living that life that is fully surrendered to him. And I would contend with you this morning that that is where life is lived to the fullest. But the problem is we have not made peace with Jesus. We've instead made peace with things in our life that we have no business making peace with. And I want to dive into Joshua chapter 9 today because this is a story that really illustrates this point. Uh, in Joshua chapter 9, we come across the Israelites, we come across Joshua in a moment of honestly, of, of triumph and greatness. They've been wandering the wilderness for 40 years. They've just been kind of doing nothing. Joshua takes over, leads the people across the Jordan River, and in seven days of marching around Jericho, God knocks the walls down and they defeat a nation. They defeat a city that the spies who went out before them said that could not be defeated. It's a land filled with giants. We don't stand a chance. And God knocked down those walls and gave them a miraculous victory. It says shortly thereafter, after a couple of bumps in the road, mind you, Israelites also defeated this city called Ai. So now all of a sudden, they are a nation on the rise. People around them are recognizing that God is moving and working and there is a strength there that they cannot stand against. And so it causes all of the people around them to unite against the Israelites. And God said something very important to Joshua, very important to the leadership of the Israelites in this moment. He said very clearly, do not make peace, do not make treaties with any of these nations around you, because if you do, they will divide your heart. They will take your heart away from me, and you will turn away from me. Do not make peace with them. This is a very clear directive that God gave them. And yet, here's how the story unfolds. I just, I want you to think about this as this story unfolds. It says, now all the kings west of the Jordan River heard about what had happened, all right? What had gone before them was very big. And it says, these were the kings of the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Can I get an amen? Okay. Who lived in the hill country, my wife just laughed at that. I just want you to know, this is a big deal, all right. Who lived in the hill country, in the western foothills, and along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, as far north as the Lebanon Mountains. The point is, these are all of the kings of the territories and the nations directly surrounding the Israelites. These are specifically the people that God has said, do not make peace with these people. Because if you do, they will divide your hearts, they will take you away from me. It says, these kings combined their armies to fight as one against Joshua and the Israelites. But when the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they resorted to deception to save themselves. 
They sent ambassadors to Joshua loading their donkeys with weathered saddlebags and old patched wineskins. They put on worn out patched sandals and ragged clothes and the bread they took with them was dry and moldy. All right, it's a trick. They're trying to trick these guys. When they arrived at the camp of Israel at Gilgal, they told Joshua and the men of Israel, we have come from a distant land to ask you to make a peace treaty with us. The Israelites replied to the Hivites, How do we know you don't live nearby? For if you do, we cannot make a treaty with you. They replied, we are your servants. But who are you, Joshua demanded. Where do you come from? They answered, your servants have come from a very distant country. We have heard of the might of the Lord your God and all he did in Egypt. We have also heard of what he did to the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, King Sihon of Heshbon and King Og of Bashan, who lived in Ashtaroth, not to be confused with the one who lived in the other city. Okay. So our elders and all our people instructed us, take supplies for a long journey. Go meet with the people of Israel and tell them, we are your servants. Please make a treaty with us. This bread was hot from the ovens when we left our homes, but now, as you can see, it is dry and moldy. These wineskins were new when we filled them, but now they are old and split open, and our clothing and sandals are worn out from our very long journey. So the Israelites examined their food but they did not consult the Lord. Let's stop for just a second. These people, the Gibeonites, they went all in on this trickery, this deception. They had no other play. If they get found out, they're toast. So they're going all in on the details, the moldy bread, the patched clothing, the sandals that are worn out. They do everything they can to deceive the Israelites into making a treaty with them. The Israelites, they did some due diligence. They checked all the stuff. Their their story checked out. But notice that most important of lines, they did not consult the Lord. I tell you, we we go down a, a very dangerous path when we stop consulting God on the decisions that we're making when we allow things to to enter into our lives that don't seem like a big deal, but as we rationalize and justify them, no, that seems right, no, that looks good, that's fine. When When we stop bringing God into the picture, that sets us up for failure. They did not consult the Lord. It says, then Joshua made a peace treaty with them and guaranteed their safety. And the leaders of the community ratified their agreement with a binding oath. Three days after making the treaty, they learned that these people actually lived nearby. This led to problems. This was exactly what God warned them against. And the trap that they fell into was simply, they made peace with someone they had no business making peace with. And I want you to just think about that for a second because in our lives I feel like this question is really important. What have you made peace with? Something that you have no business making peace with. Would you just sit and soak in that for a minute? Would you just let the Holy Spirit speak to you Honestly, I'm a pastor. My voice is soothing. It'll put you to sleep in a heartbeat. I get that. But the voice of the Holy Spirit, man, that's alive and speaks to our very soul. 
This is heavy on my heart today because this is something that creeps into every single one of our lives, mine included. If we're not careful, we'll find that we have made peace with something in our lives that we should have never made peace with. And slowly over time, our hearts begin to drift, our hearts become divided because we're not fully surrendered to Jesus. We've made peace with something we shouldn't have. And that becomes a barrier between us and our relationship with God. And you guys, I don't want to live that way. I don't want you to live that way either. I want you to walk in the fullness of life and the joy and the freedom that only Jesus can give us. Peace that passes all understanding. Hope for this life and the next that is fully realized when my, my life with Jesus is in sync. When I'm walking step in step with him. When when I'm fully surrendered, when my lifestyle is worshiping Jesus. True obedience, true surrender, that is the way that we worship Jesus. If you want your worship to ring true, if you don't want that to be hollow, that's the lifestyle, that's the heart that Jesus longs to see in us. And I, I want to I challenge you today. When we think of worship, oftentimes it's the music we sing, it's the songs that we lift up and praise to God. Man, our worship is much more than our music. God, God cares much more about the condition of your heart than he cares about the music that you're singing. That's what matters most to him. And the way we truly worship Jesus is by allowing our very lives, the choices that we make, our obedience to Jesus, the lifestyle of worship. That, that's how we bring glory and honor to God. That's how we please him in all that we do. My life, my very self, my actions, my thoughts, my attitudes, they're surrendered to Jesus. It is the deepest desire of my heart that I am letting God work in me and through me, letting me become more like him. That's the life of surrender. That's the life of worship that God calls each of us to. But the trap that we fall into is we make peace with things that we have no business making peace with. And a lot of times those things aren't terrible things. I don't think that the devil starts out his schemes against us with all the worst things. We know to avoid the worst things. It's very clear what those things are, but he sneaks in. He, he lets us rationalize and justify the little things. And before we know it, we've drifted to a place where we never really wanted to be. I'm reminded of a story. I've got a friend who, uh, who knows someone. This is a friend of a friend, so just know this. I've kept these degrees of separation between myself and this person. I've done that on purpose, and you'll know why after you hear this. This friend of a friend had a, a pet python snake. I just want you to know that. And I, you need to know, if you know anything about me, I'm terrified of snakes. You just need to know that about me. If, if I see a snake, I'm jumping out of the way. I just get out of the way as fast as I can. About five or six years into our marriage, uh, I woke up in the middle of the night having a dream that there were snakes in our bed. I woke up in the middle of the night, I threw off the covers, and I was like, Dana, there's snakes in the bed! <laughs> Which is not great for a marriage. I just want you to know that. It's not great. <laughs> It's a thing, like, oh, it weirds me out. I don't like it. So this friend of a friend has a pet python snake that he's, like, had since this python snake was a baby, and they've kind of grown up together. It's kind of a weird story. And as the snake gets longer and longer, it starts sleeping in the bed with this guy. Like, it's kind of this weird thing, like, yeah, that's exactly right. That's my reaction. Like, duh, there really is a snake in the bed. Get that out of here. Well, he was talking to his friend saying, yeah, recently, 
as my, my pet python has gotten larger, I've noticed that he stretches out, you know, as straight as an arrow beside me in the bed from time to time. And I don't know why he does that. And he was smart enough to know. He said, hey, dude, listen up. He's measuring you. When he's bigger than you, he's going to try to eat you in your sleep. Just know that, okay? Whoa! It's why I'm terrified of snakes. Just want you to know that. I think it's justified. <laughs> but isn't that how the devil is? Isn't that how the devil works? Doesn't get you with something terrible out of the gate. No, he, he makes us rationalize things and justify things. He allows us to make peace with things that we have no business making peace with. And that takes us down a far different path over time from where God longs for us to be. It's why we have to be focused, laser focused, on living lives that are surrendered to Jesus. Making sure that my lifestyle worships and honors God. And Jesus speaks to this in Luke chapter 8. He tells the parable of the sower. A parable is just, it's a story. It's an illustration. Jesus used this in his teaching very often. It's an earthly story that we will all understand that has a heavenly meaning. This is a great way to teach, and Jesus mastered this art of teaching. And in Luke chapter 8, he tells the parable of the sower, the farmer that sows seed. And he talks about how the seed lands on different types of ground and has different results. And there's really only one type of seed. When it lands on the good soil, everything goes right. It grows and it produces fruit. And how God wants us to be that, that fruit, that, that, that seed, that soil. He wants us to be producing fruit, living a life that is connecting people with Jesus and multiplying the kingdom. So after he tells this story, the disciples, like they did oftentimes, didn't really fully understand what he was trying to say. They said, Jesus, what, do you, what does this mean? And so he explains it in Luke chapter 8, verses 11 through 15 by saying this. He said, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is God's word. Do not ever underestimate the power and the holiness of God's word in your life. Listen to me. If you don't hear anything else today, just hear this. When God speaks to you, when you recognize that the Holy Spirit is convicting you, that he is speaking truth into your life, when God speaks to you, listen to that voice, obey that voice, that's going to keep you exactly where God wants you to be. God's word is alive, it is powerful. God's word, God spoke everything we know into existence. God's word is alive and it's powerful, it permeates our souls. It draws us to him. God's word is incredible. It is amazing. And, and it's something that we have to be focused on listening to if we're going to live a life that pleases God. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is God's word. God is sowing his word into our lives all around us, in us, through us. God's word is speaking to our lives, trying to get our attention, desperately hoping that we will listen and obey. The seed is God's word. The seeds that fell on the footpath represent those who hear the message only to have the devil come and take it away from their hearts and prevent them from believing and being saved. That's tragic. The second round is the seeds that fell on the rocky soil represent those who hear the message and receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they believe for a while, then they fall away when they face temptation. When things get a little bit difficult, when things get a little uncomfortable, they decide, ah, I'd rather just have my old life. That's also tragic. But I want you to lean into this third group today. I, I really want you to lean into this. This is how we avoid hollow worship. The seeds that fell among the thorns represent those who hear the message, 
But all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the cares and riches and pleasures of this life. And so they never grow into maturity. Can we just, can we pause right here? Can we stop and think about the significance of what Jesus is saying here? My lifestyle of worship that pleases God is is that lifestyle when I'm at peace with Jesus. When I'm focused on listening to his voice. When I am being obedient to what he is asking me to do and who he is calling me to be. The problem comes when I start making peace with things I have no business making peace with. When that happens, I begin to crowd out the voice of God. And it starts out as little things. When I think about the cares, the riches, the pleasures of this world, what's Jesus talking about? And he's talking about all the things that we worry about, all the things that we get consumed by, all of the drama We let that crowd out the voice of God. Can we just be real for a minute? The last year's been kind of crazy, right? It's turned us all upside down. I'm pretty sure we've all had to start various new routines and traditions and habits to kind of cope with this whole situation and to figure out how we navigate life under these new circumstances. But the reality is, I believe we've probably allowed ourselves at a lot of different levels to make peace with things that we never should have made peace with. And I think about, like, you're trying to define what are the cares and worries of this world. Well, I, I guarantee if you just hop on social media for about five minutes, you can figure it out pretty quick, right? I think we become so consumed, and can I get real with you for a moment? We become so consumed with just everything that's going on in the earthly kingdom that we forget about the kingdom of heaven. And so we're all divided. We're all at each other's throats talking about our different political views and everything else that's out there that divides us. When God's saying to us, hey... I want you stop focusing on the earthly kingdom, focus on the kingdom of heaven. Instead of driving a wedge between you and the people in your community and your life, maybe ask yourself, who are you targeting for Jesus? Who have you invited to, to know Jesus over the last year? Who are you trying to disciple and help grow in their faith? We get so caught up in the things of this earth that we lose focus of the kingdom of heaven. We rationalize, we justify, we make peace with things, with attitudes, thoughts, and actions, and behaviors that we have no business making peace with. When you think about the riches that this earth has to offer, we talk about the desire to chase after wealth and money. Money in itself is not evil. It's the root of all evil. Jesus warns us, man, where your heart is, or where your treasure is, that's where your heart is going to be also. You've got to guard your heart. What is it that you care about more? Is it your pursuit of wealth and possessions and earthly gain? Or are you chasing after the things of God, the things that are eternal? There is nothing that we waste our time on earth, on planet earth, that is our homes, our wealth, our bank account. There's nothing there that we can take with us, not a single thing. All we can do is invest that in eternity, do our best to invest in the kingdom of heaven. God doesn't call us to be greedy and hoard everything we've got. He calls us to live generously joy and generosity go hand in hand. That's the life he's called us to. But we get wrecked by the pursuit of the cares of this world and the riches it has to offer. We get blinded by the pleasures of this world. And in our culture, the pleasures of this world are coming at us from all angles. Talk about a culture where we can be distracted by the pleasures that this world has to offer us. You guys, we're making peace 
with things that we have no business making peace with. And it affects our marriages, it affects our families, it affects our relationship with God. And I want to challenge you today to, to clear it all out, clear the mechanism. Instead of making peace with things we have no business making peace with, make sure today you're focusing on making peace with God. That you're focusing on the kingdom of heaven and the life that he's called you to live because that's life to the fullest. There's nothing like it. It's a life filled with peace and real joy. It's a life that's marked by hope and filled with love. That's the life that Jesus calls us to. That's the life that he is longing for us to experience. And what you see is his heart in verse 15. Jesus says, the seeds that fell on the good soil represent honest, good-hearted people who hear God's word, cling to it, obey it, own it, put it into practice, and patiently produce a huge harvest. These are kingdom-minded people. They're not being distracted by all the worries and the cares and the riches and the pleasures of the world. They're not making peace with any of that. They're focusing on the kingdom of heaven. They're making peace with God. And I got to ask you today, what have you made peace with? You want to avoid the trap of hollow worship in your life. You got to stay laser focused on making sure that your life is truly a living sacrifice. That the way you are living, the way you are seeking the face of God is, is holy and acceptable to him. I mean, Paul couldn't be any clearer in Romans 12.1. He says, this is the way that we worship him. That's the lifestyle that he has called us to. That is where we live life to the fullest. And as we close today, I just, I want to give you an opportunity to respond and to take a step toward Jesus to make peace with him. Because I have no idea what it is that you have made peace with that you really had no business making peace with. But I guarantee you today, the Holy Spirit's talking to you. He talks to all of us. Man, he's been wrecking me as I've been figuring all this out. I'm realizing, man, there's places in my life where I've fallen into the trap. I've made peace with things I shouldn't have. Got to clear that out. I got to stay focused on Jesus. Because the longer I make peace with things I have no business making peace with, the farther it is that I drift from where God wants me to be. And so I want to respond today by making peace with Jesus, by clearing out in our hearts anything that's a barrier between us and our relationship with Jesus. And so we're going to close today by receiving communion together. Communion is that sacred sacrament that allows us the opportunity to remember what Jesus has done for us and to reflect on our relationship with him, where it stands. And I would invite you today, as a response, to receive communion. Receiving communion is a symbol of the fact that you are saying to Jesus, Jesus, I'm making peace with you today. I'm clearing out all this stuff that's a barrier between me and you. And I want to leave today knowing that my lifestyle is one that pleases you, that truly worships you. So here in this room, out at Drive-In Church, at our Mishawaka campuses at St. Pete, we're closing today by responding, by receiving communion together. And so what I ask you to do is this. Draw close to Jesus. Spend some time talking with him. Make peace with him. Make sure your heart is clear, that you're right with God.
Make sure your relationship with him today is up to date. And as we sing this last song together, I would invite you as your response moment today to come forward to the front of the room. There's some baskets in the front that have the communion elements. As your response today, grab those communion elements, take them back to your chair. And when we're done singing this song, we will receive communion together, clearing our hearts, clearing our minds of anything that is a barrier between us and our relationship with God, making peace with him. I invite you to lean into this moment to draw close to him because these are sacred moments that truly honor him, that truly glorify him. These are the moments where we truly worship Jesus. So would you stand with me as we come to a close today? Would you stand, would you bow your heads and close your eyes and let's prepare our hearts to respond to the voice of Jesus today and prepare our hearts to receive communion together at the conclusion of this song. Jesus, I'm thankful today for the incredible love that you have for us, that that you are patient with us, that you are kind. And God, I just pray that you would help us to listen to your voice in this moment. That if there are areas in our lives where we've made peace with, with something that we have no business making peace with, that you would make that clear in our hearts, Jesus, that we wouldn't harden our hearts to your voice, God, that we would listen and that we would obey. It's my desire that every single one of us today would, would leave this place having drawn close to you, having made peace with you. Because that is where life is lived to the fullest. That is how we truly worship you. And so Jesus, in this moment, we draw close to you and we ask you to meet us here in a special way. Bless this time together. Bless these next few moments as we lean in and draw close to you. We love you. And we pray this in your name.